This episode is brought to you by our self-care guide full of practical tips to help you prioritize your self-care. Download the guide at thejuggle.com.au forward slash self-care. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lilovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joel Lilovich here. And Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. We are looking forward to sharing with you today's interview because one of the things that we often hear from women, and we're often talking about ourselves, is the fact that there seems to so often to be a tension between wanting to be a great mum, but also feeling ambitious about our career and our work. And I wouldn't necessarily say it gets easier or or that you solve the problem necessarily, but I found that it really helps me to have found a group of people who think the same way which I know what I'm talking about there is our Facebook group the juggle community because just being around people who have similar values and who share the same concerns and problems and highs and lows really does help you to kind of cope with it all and realize that it will all be okay Mm, and we we touch on this a bit with our guest so we are very pleased to welcome clinical and forensic psychologist Kirsten Bass to the podcast today Kirsten is the owner of Perth Psychology Collective and author of a very good book called The Conscious Mother. Her clients range from women who have had their children removed from their care to mums like us who experience perinatal anxiety or depression, all the way through to C-suite executives finding it difficult to blend their professional and mothering worlds together successfully. She gets most excited when she has the chance to share the wisdom gained from her professional life and personal experiences as an ambitious mother, living by her philosophy to be fully human. Hi, Kirsten. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. No trouble. Thanks for having me. A phrase that you often use to describe women who you work with, and one that I think is a really good description of our listeners, is ambitious mother. You saw that coming. I can tell by the smile on your face. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, look, she's a gorgeous creature. (laughs) Let me just put that out there. Um, I I mean, an ambitious mother to me is someone who motherhood is as equally important as her career or her business. Therefore, the amount of energy that she invests in both those things is ridiculously high. It's a part of both are very strong parts of her identity. Um, and a lot of internal, I guess, personal satisfaction comes from both and really wouldn't want to be living life, you know, without one of those. Do you run into trouble when you talk about equally important on the basis that everyone has different views on on how they think they are being the best mum they can be or the best career person they can be. So that, mm. that idea of equally important is going to be different for everyone, right? So do you ever find people pushing back against that description? No, not really, because I think what you might be more thinking about is how people divvy up time and resources and, and that can definitely vary. But I think when I'm I'm talking more the values and the priorities. So career is just as important as motherhood. Mm. 
which is a far more, you know, it's far less tangible concept, isn't it, in terms of importance. And that doesn't necessarily mean that equal time is spent on each of those things. So, and I think, I mean, that, I just don't think that's even realistic anyway, if that was the goal. Um, (laughs) I I love that uh, distinction. I think that's a great way to distinguish people too. Yeah. Do you think it's important for women to be able to have this way of identifying themselves? I love the description that you use, ambitious mm. mother. And I remember when I met you, I was one. I said to you, oh, thank God, here's somebody else who's talking about the same things. Where are the rest of the people yeah. like this? So yeah. <laughs> busy working and mothering. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that being able to identify in this way helps people to bring people together? Why do you see it? Oh, I mean, you're not the only one who has said that to me about my general philosophy Mm. and everything that the business represents and the phrase represents. I've heard that a lot. Having said that, I will just put it out there and, you know, you could have a lot of listeners freak out and, I don't know, send hate mail or something, but I'm not a fan of mumpreneur and I'm pretty vocal about that phrase and somebody said to me, well, what's the difference? And I can't quite articulate it other than to say, I just feel as though it has a connotation to it that's developed over time that doesn't actually give the weight to the business and the entrepreneur side of what they actually do. So while that's in the word mumpreneur, I think that other people's perception is that it's a bit of a soft word and doesn't necessarily capture the seriousness within, you know, that the women who identify or don't identify but would fit that term really take their businesses. So that's one of the reasons I don't like it. I guess the other thing is for me, I also had my business well and truly before I had children. And I also don't see myself as an entrepreneur. I see myself as a business owner. So that's probably a bit kind of separate to that. But yeah, I just think ambitious mother really resonates with people because, I mean, ambitious is such a dirty word, but if you can embrace it, and I think the way that it's joined with mother somehow kind of dilutes the dirtiness around it. Yeah. And that's why I think it sits comfortably with most women. I have not had anyone say to me they don't like it. That's for sure. So thinking about these ambitious women that you come across and that you deal with in your, in your practice, in your business, what do you think or what do you see are the most common concerns and struggles that they have? Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I do think it, this is not a new phrase, but I think ambitious mothers will mother as if they don't have a career and try and fulfil their career as if they don't have children. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so the biggest struggle is that, there's something within, I think, this group of women where they want to give that 100% to both of those roles. And it's funny, I listened to your episode with Justine, who's a colleague of mine, Mm. and she talked about there's no such thing as 200%. (laughs) And I thought, well, you know, that's exactly it. And yet I think most of us fall into the trap of um, behaving as if there is and, you know, giving ourselves a hard time when we simply can't meet that meet that benchmark so for me I think that's the biggest struggle as well what does that translate into when we don't give ourselves that well it translates into us working very very long hours and then going home and feeling bad that we haven't been available to our children in the way that we want to or going home you know because we've got a sick child and thinking you know god I'm not stepping up and measuring up at work I think it manifests in that guilt. That's the that's a common feeling, and that constant sense of I'm just not measuring up. 
And each of those parts of that phrase, ambitious, so if we just run with the ambitious woman concept and then the mother concept, each of those are parts of our identity and every identity has a set of values attached to it and every set of values then have behaviours attached to those. That's the manifestation of the the values is the behaviour. And I think one of the biggest challenges is the behaviours are often at odds with each other. So to be the mum that most women who would fit this group, and I do include myself in it, to be the mum that, you know, I want to be requires something ridiculous of myself (laughs) Um, and equally to be the business owner and the career woman that I want to be demands equal amount of time and focus and and drive and it's just simply not possible to put those two things together. So what advice do you give to women who you see who are struggling with this with the wanting to give 100% to everything? Well, I think the first thing is for them to sit down and actually really understand what they think the best version of the career woman, the ambitious woman is, and what they think the best version of mother is as well. I think look at them as two separate things first. Absolutely. And then the next step is to really challenge where those things come from, I guess. I often use the phrase that, you know, even Mrs. Brady had an Alice. And she didn't have a career. Um, (laughs) I think we take on ideas of what a good mother is and what a good career woman is uh, through our conditioning, through our own family systems, our own collegial networks, through socialisation. And we never actually step back and think, hang on a minute, is that my definition? Do I truly believe that the best mother has to be someone who does this, this and this and this at home? Uh, You know, as an example, go to all my children's events. Well, I've got four kids (laughs) in a good school and I could easily go to two things at least a week. Um, if I was to, you know, go to everything that's available to me as their mother. Um, and you know, if that's my definition of a good mother, then I'm, I'm pretty screwed to be blunt. (laughs) There's no time left for anything else after that. (laughs) No, exactly. Um, and so it's sitting down and thinking, well, if that's, if that's what you think is part of the definition of a good mother, challenge that. Where does that come from? Why do I hold that belief? What do I think the consequences will be for my children? Because that's what this is all about in that domain. It's about our kids. You know, what are the consequences for for them really if if I'm not there at all of those events and how can I manage that differently and then you do the same thing on the other side and I think that's the first thing because you've got to get a really stick a really stick definition of each of those two roles um, and a really stick kind of set of the values that sit underneath of those two identities and then from there you look where the overlap is and you look where the conflict comes and when you're looking at where the conflict comes and let's just say you might be more realistic and for example rather than going to two things every week you say that you're going to be at every single assembly which is a once a week thing and that may well be on a practical level impossible given work demands and and things like that. So you look at the conflict and you identify those areas and, again, it's really just almost like an internal negotiation. It's a deep introspection, isn't it? Oh, for sure, for sure. This, I mean, you know, I guess that's why the broader business has been always called the conscious mother Mm. because this is really about bringing conscious awareness to it. And and to be honest, I mean, the the evolution of me and the business and working with so many mums now, the conscious mother doesn't quite fit the women I tend to work with because it doesn't capture the ambition. It doesn't capture the career. Um, 
mind you, ambitious mother doesn't necessarily capture the conscious Conscious. awareness that I think is really important generally. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So Kirsten's book is called The Conscious Mother, A Simple Guide to Mothering with Self-Awareness, Authenticity, Confidence and Connectiveness. And long title. <laughs> I had to write it all down because I thought I won't. Yes. <laughs> In fact, I've got the book right here with me. Two things I love most about this book. One, it's not a typical parenting book in that you're not telling us how to raise our kids or how we should parent or anything like that. Instead, yeah. what you do is you're asking us to understand our own or work out our exactly what you've just explained work out our own values and understand ourselves and where we fit in life and why we have a certain belief system so that we can then work out how we want to parent absolutely you know there's a load of parenting books out there and there's some fabulous ones you know really evidence-based driven very practical I think there's some brilliant stuff out there and I kind of thought well I just I'm not going to add to that noise you know I don't need to do that but really the reason why The Conscious Mother, the book and, and what's in it came about is because for me, time and time again, working with mums, working with people in general, to be honest, but, you know, working with mums was this, I guess I got, just got constant feedback that they were living according to other people's rules mm-hmm. and that was causing them enormous angst. And I also found that there's a lot of great parenting programs out there as well, but sometimes some of those parenting programs were so prescriptive for the typical examples of Mm. what kids might be doing, but parents face situations that weren't covered in the parenting program and were left not knowing what to do. And for me, I think the more that you understand yourself and your value system and what's important to you, that's your guiding light through life and through parenting. And so it felt like any kind of parenting book, if I had have written a how-to parent, it just would continue to miss the fundamental. You know, it's like trying to build a house on sand rather than a concrete slab. I really felt it needed to come back to understanding yourself and knowing what was important to you. And the second thing that I like, and it's again on the same topic, is that, and it's right at the beginning, and you talk about reflective functioning. And I remember reading this, and I don't know if you remember, but I remember sending you a text message saying, Oh my goodness, this thing, I thought it was just me. I thought I was crazy. I've been overthinking everything, but no, it's good. It's normal. I'm meant to be doing it. And I remember feeling like, Ah, this is good for me. Maybe I'm not so mad. Because I read this, I don't know, Lily was maybe about a year old. Yeah, yeah, she was little. And you've Mm -hmm. got, what do we call them? You ask questions and you encourage people to write notes and kind of brainstorm throughout the book. And I have to confess, I didn't do that in the book. I'm sure you've heard that before. So on a piece yeah, of, yeah. of the book. I couldn't even colour in my mindfulness book in case I didn't like the end result. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll pull up the story. <laughs> so can you tell us about reflective functioning and why that is important? Well, I mean, I guess what it comes down to is that the more we understand ourselves and what's going on for us internally, and that's everything from um, our thoughts, our feelings, um, what's going on in our bodies, um, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, our motivations, our hang-ups, the more we're we're better able to navigate life. And there's an enormous amount of research that will show that. And that capacity, you self-awareness is kind of like the end result. It's the outcome of reflection 
functioning. Mm. So reflective functioning is the the skill or, I mean, we tend to use the word capacity that somebody has to get that end result of being highly self-aware. It's also a skill or a capacity that we want to continue to develop. And ideally, this is something that you carry with you throughout your life because, of course, we're not static people. So self-awareness is also, it's not like, okay, I know myself at 25 years of age and that's it. I don't need to do this anymore or there's nothing to be gained we grow we evolve we change and so those two things are both fluid so that's that I mean bottom line it just helps us navigate life we know it builds enormous amount of resilience it also helps us live a meaningful life and we know that when we live a meaningful and purposeful life we're all more likely to die happy that's that's kind of the crux of the research (laughs) this is where the positive psychology comes in on top of that the more we have this capacity for ourselves we actually know that the more likely we are to be able to understand other people. Now, some people have sometimes said to me, does that mean we're better at reading minds? And there's some truth to that. And there's some risks with that because of course we can make very inaccurate assumptions and we can make those assumptions based on not having self-awareness around a particular issue for us and creating a story about what we think the person's really saying or why they're doing what they're doing and that can be unhelpful. But ultimately, the more that we are able to reflect and have this capacity, the more we're able to do that and understand where under people, you know, other people are coming from and why they might be doing what they're doing and why they're feeling what they're feeling. And with that, so that's a cognitive component, like it's an understanding of someone else or ourselves and someone else. And then on top of that, it also is more likely and it's quite fundamental to empathy, which is the emotional capacity as well. And so these are like fundamental things that, as you can imagine, are really critical to good relationships, including the ones we have with our children who learn and develop the capacity for reflective functioning from us to whatever degree they can only ever be as good as we are (laughs) at it. I hope that's not the case. (laughs) That feels like a lot of pressure. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, This idea of relationships and all the rest of it, a lot of that I find is, is about knowing a whole person and, you know, being able to be yourself and having other people understand who you are. And in fact, we mentioned in our introduction that you have stated that you like living life by the philosophy of being fully human. So is that what you mean by that? Or is it something a little bit different? They're probably slightly different, but they definitely relate to one another. I mean, in terms of being fully human, to do that, you need to know yourself. But being fully human, you need to know yourself, plus give yourself permission to share that with the world. Yes. So that would reflect the difference between those two concepts, but also the relationship. Yeah, I'm not capable of (laughs) anything else, I think. (laughs) I think I have been in my earlier years. I mean, I've been quite an open person to some degree anyway, but I think what's really evolved for me as I've just gotten older and, and yes. lived life a bit more and things is that I'm I'm far more comfortable mm-hmm. with sharing my less than desirable experiences <laughs> and feelings and thoughts and characteristics. It's very fortunate that there are privileges and benefits that come with age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I can honestly say that it's made life a heck of a lot easier for me. The more I've really relinquished the idea of I shouldn't say this or I shouldn't feel this and I certainly shouldn't share this the easier life has become it's kind of like not much I mean other things can surprise me and other people can surprise Mm. me but there's not a sense of somebody somehow finding this thing about myself that I 
did know or even didn't know but and had to hide from the world it's kind of like well it's all out there (laughs) beat you to it (laughs) well speaking of then of you being open and honest on just about life in general this Mm. this year you've been very open on your social media about the the breakdown of your marriage which is obviously not an easy thing to go through especially in the past in comparison you have been in the you know in the past you were very open about the need and not just in relation to yourself but for ambitious women in general Mm. to have a very supportive partner who shares the load and so obviously your world would have just come crashing in because because of the way you lived your life and then the breakdown of your marriage. So if there's any kind of event that could occur that might make somebody want to withdraw and stop sharing, you know, you've been through it this year, but you haven't. And (laughs) did you ever consider, maybe I don't want to be so open anymore? Did that ever come into the picture? Yes, but only from the perspective of, I guess, um, my profession. So, you know, uh, psychology has often been called a goody two-shoes profession. Um, The rules that we have to abide by are pretty crazy, um, really. Um, You know, and I I think it's an evolution of my profession in and of itself that more psychologists are being more um, real. Mm. Uh, if you think of it, well, if I think of 30 or 40 years ago, I mean, God, well, even longer, but you know, Freud sat in the chair and said pretty much nothing to his clients while they laid on the couch and just free associated. And the idea was certainly not for him to share anything of himself. I couldn't think of anything worse, to be honest, as being a client to have a therapist like that. So for me, it was more around the balance. And certainly, what was most paramount for me in that is, you know, I I see a lot of clients and the last thing I wanted was for them to be so concerned about me and my well-being that they couldn't see me as strong and capable um, in the therapy room and that they wouldn't tell me something because they saw me as fragile, it might hurt my feelings, um, I couldn't cope, um, all of that stuff. So for me, that was far more where my thinking was is, okay, if I am open and honest, how will this go in the therapy room? So it's not so much the broader public that might have been seeing my posts that I was two-phased about. Mm. I think it's really important for my profession that we actually start to very clearly show that we are people too, that we haven't got it all together. And But having said that, when we don't have it all together, we we actually practice what we preach. We do what we um, ask of our clients. And I can honestly say everything that has got me through um, this year so far um, is because I have practiced what I preach. I've done everything that I would have suggested to a client. Um, and again, that is how I live my life. I yeah. really value the wisdom that my profession has. Cause that's always been the case for you, hasn't it? Even before this year, you always used to talk about, or I've seen you speak on your social media, at least about how you yourself would go and see a psychologist or someone for whatever reason to deal with your own stuff. So yeah. that part's not new. That's a great thing about your industry though, that there is a, it's almost built into your industry to some extent, industry profession, however you choose to use it, this requirement for you to have those self-reflections and those supervised things. But getting back to you in, in terms of the changes that have happened for you this year, becoming now whether people like the expression or not, single mum of of four children, have your views as a result of this big change in your life, have your views around being a working mum and ambitious mothers changed at all? 
No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You may or may not know. You may not have put the pieces of the puzzle together. But, you know, I've also been a single mum before because my oldest child, who's 18 next month, is to another relationship. And there were a couple of years where it was just him and I. And, you know, I, I did the same then. Isn't that when you set up your practice? No, I had my practice before him. And I guess one thing that is really similar in that period of time when that relationship ended and this year as well is that I just bunker down. And when I say that, I I don't mean withdrawal. What I mean is for me in the business and it's part of some of the decision-making around the conscious mother and things, it was really just important for me to have a year where I didn't even try and grow the business. Mm. I pulled back from all the extra bits and pieces. Focus on what's important. Focus on what's important, focus on what I know and working with clients, people often say to me, and they say it to me at any time, but particularly at this time, my God, how on earth are you being a therapist and dealing with other people's stuff when you're going through so much? And there's a more sensible answer to that, although I'm not quite sure what that is. But what I can certainly say is I've been just doing it long enough that I know how to put aside a bad day and focus entirely on a client and my profession is tiring not because of what we hear but because of the level of presence that we have Mm. to have with each and every client Mm. we're in their world fully the beauty of that when you're going through shit is that I don't have to think about my world (laughs) that's what I always say I always say it's easier to deal with other people's problems than it is to deal with your own oh of course of course and what better way to get my sense of or connect with my sense of competency and get my confidence than to go back into my world that I know so well and have been doing for 23 24 years when I've lost enormous confidence in myself as a wife and a woman woman and all those other things that have gone on for me. So what advice would you give to someone who found themselves in a similar situation that you've just experienced? As an ambitious woman, Mm. because I think it's different for women who wouldn't identify with that. So yeah, well, as an ambitious woman, I would certainly find the areas of your working life that are so familiar, you could almost do with your eyes closed find the areas of your working life that you feel very competent and capable and do those and strip away the extra stuff. Mm -hmm. Just give yourself a period of time, the extra stuff. Just give yourself a period of time where you strip away that. Now, I mean, I have pulled back from media, but it was always something that was, well, Mm. it was, it was on the cards for me to review that anyway. But, yeah, it certainly gave me a kick up the bum to do that. My kids needed me. I needed to be home a lot more for them, still do. And so, you know, stripping away the media, um, stripping away a lot of the networking that I was doing. And as I said, I've not tried to grow the business because there's so much that has to go into growing a business. So I've been really happy just having it tick along. I've got an awesome team, so I am very lucky there that they they do the wonderful stuff whether I'm there or not or whatever space I'm in. And a lot of people might think I stripped those things away for practical reasons, being a single mum, having less time and more responsibility, and there is a bit of that in there. But I've always dropped my kids to school every morning and I always pick them Mm. up three afternoons a week anyway and that hasn't changed. Mm. So it's not about those practicalities. For me, it was headspace. It was I needed to free up space in my head 
Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of making me think of before I had Lily, I was unhappy and I saw a counsellor. And one of the things that she said to me was that I needed to have more things in my life. I had my career and then I was expecting my husband, Jack, to kind of fill all the rest of my needs. Mm. And she said to me, you need, you need something else. You need to find yourself hobbies. You can't just rely on these two things in your life. And what you're saying is making me recalling that for me because it's making me think of the importance of not just defining yourself by your marriage or by your career or by your children but having a bigger identity that means when one thing's crap there are other you can draw on definitely I didn't realize how attached I had become to the role of wife and how much that defined me and how much I defined myself as part of a couple and how much I define my worth by the fact that somebody, you know, at that, at one point wanted to be with me. You know, what does it mean when he doesn't? What does it say about me and my worth and all of that stuff? It's, it's been a ride. That's for sure in terms of being pretty battered and having to find my way without those definitions and without those external validation. I've really needed to get that internal validation and I have. To, I, I really feel as I've I've had to fight for it. It's not been easy. I don't want anyone who's struggling out there with this kind of situation to think it's been easy. It hasn't. I know all the stuff. I know that this not this should have been how I was anyway. I should have not relied on other people for my validation in any shape or form, but it's not that simple. Yeah, but we all do, don't we? And especially when you, you're just living that life and it's your normal and you're not expecting anything to change. That's just... yeah. How, how yeah. would you suggest we go about doing that exercise? Do we, maybe the exercises in your book? Absolutely. I mean, um, I was actually thinking, and I only said it to someone earlier today, I'm probably going to, at some point, try and collate all the things that I did that I believe helped me get through this period of my life. And, you know, I, I threw a lot of stuff at it, <laughs> a bit of a scattergun approach. And I can't identify any one thing that was gold standard in getting me steady. Um, what I will say is I truly believe I couldn't have done it without my family and friends supporting me. I really have gorgeous people in my life. And I've always been someone who's been very aware of that and very grateful for that. But it smacked me in the face a million times more in this period. Just how kind people are as well has been phenomenal. Kindness from people on the periphery of my life, complete strangers. So therefore, hanging on to that has been really important to me because as you'd know, you know, I didn't expect, I was completely blindsided by the situation I find myself in. And so it really challenged a lot of my perspectives on me, on my ex, on marriage, on people, (laughs) Um, you know, so it was a real evaluation process. But if I was to give some core things that I think were important, I don't, they're not rank ordered in priority, it would certainly be, be fully human, at least with the people that you're, that are safe in your life. So those people who truly love you and have your best interests at heart, they are the ones that you need to call when you are crying your eyes out and think you're going to fall apart and might end up in the funny farm. They are the people that you need to be doing that with. Give yourself permission to do that. Certainly things like, you know, it's so cliched, but exercise has been really pivotal for me for two reasons. One is because it just improves mood. We know that. But it's also given me a purpose and I'll admit a bit of a stuff you um, <laughs> as part of that as well. I'm, I'm going to make sure I look as good as I can. So that's another thing. Without any shadow of doubt, I've seen, um, I've seen two different psychs 
because they've had slightly different approaches and that's been normally that doesn't happen you know it's not really great for the psychs to have someone seeing another psych but they've had quite distinct approaches um, and so that's worked well for me what else have I done and I guess the bit just coming back to what you were saying Lucy while work has been a really steadying factor for me the gift that I have been given and I can say this now is that I am able to do things that I've always wanted to do, but you just kind of don't do those things when you're in a marriage or relationship. You don't spend the time. You don't use your leave to do these things. So, you know. Talking about your trip to India, I said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, my trip to India, I mean, that's kind of been landed at my feet in an extremely fortunate way on one level, but by the same token, it's enabled me to start to think about some of the humanitarian work that I've always wanted to do and just simply, just simply, wouldn't have and it was not even a when the kids are older I'll do that because it wasn't something that my ex was interested in it was just one of those things that probably wasn't going to happen and so for me to connect with that just going to different events that I really enjoy has been really critical as well so yeah I know that sounds all very simple but it's easy not to do those things so easy not to do those things and yet they've been really important and as you say you need a variety of different things Mm -hmm. to work out kind of what's going to work for an individual yeah so we always like to finish off our interviews with a couple of questions Mm. hit me with them (laughs) we may or you may we all may have given this one away because we've probably just been speaking about it but just in case there's something else do you have a mantra are there words you live by or is it be fully human is there something else look I would say there's lots of things that I think are really important and um you know, had you have asked me maybe a year ago when I didn't have my hashtag, I can't even (laughs) remember the exact wording of it, but I always liked a philosophy that if you support others, you rise by lifting others. That was the phrase that I really live by, not just professionally, but personally. But yeah, I would have to say that for me, be fully human is um, something I know personally is imperative and the benefits of that. And, and when I put my psych hat on, it's the difference between people finding their way through whatever challenging situation they're finding or not. That is a bottom line need. They need to be fully human to themselves and at least one other person. Without that, change is and, and getting through tough times. Not too convinced whether it's possible. I'm happy to be proven otherwise, but I really think those are some fundamentals. Thank you. And if we were going to leave everyone with one piece of advice for ambitious mothers or women managing the juggle, what would it be? Know yourself. (laughs) That's simple. Easy. (laughs) Easy. Yeah. So easy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just such a guy, a way to guide yourself through life is by really knowing yourself. I guess though it has to go hand in hand with the permission to then be yourself. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, if you want to buy uh, Kirsten's book, you can do so at theconsciousmother.com.au and I honestly really do recommend her book. Um, and I've recently just bought it for my sister. So it's proof in the pudding that I'm still buying and sharing. <laughs> and you can find out more about her psychology services at perthpsychologycollective.com.au and, of course, we'll include links in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks, Kirsten. You're welcome. Thanks for your time.
Thanks, everyone. That's all from The Juggle today. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating and review so that we can help other people find the show. If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can find all of our links to our Facebook group and our special guides at our website, which is www.thejuggle.com.au. See you next time. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.